Well, welcome to Artisan Church. It is good to be here with you today. It is good to see many, many new faces out there today. I'm excited about that. We are in a message series called Joy on Purpose, reading through the book of Philippians. And it is one of my favorite books for the very fact that it talks about joy and joy in the midst of many, many different circumstances. And so we're uh, going to be talking today specifically about joy in the midst of humility. Now, I don't know about any of you, but oftentimes uh, God, God speaks to me through His Word, and, and, and you may not be preparing sermons, but maybe in your time in God's Word, you know, it just speaks right to your heart. And I have to admit that sometimes when I prepare messages... God is really trying to teach me something, so I apologize that you have to be listening to the lesson that I'm trying to learn this week. Hopefully, you'll get something out of it yourselves. Uh, but this, this really is a, a, a difficult idea. Joy in the midst of humility, in the midst of being humble. It's, that's a tough thing. Right? Has anybody ever struggled with that? The idea of, number one, being humble. Anybody ever struggle with being humble? Because you know you're right. You know you're right. And to top that off, to try to be joyful as you're being humble. Man, this is tough. Tough stuff. But, you know, as... Uh, Pastor Scott pointed out last week, as Paul is writing this letter to the Philippian people, he himself is in prison. So he's writing about being joy-filled and rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice in the midst of being incarcerated in prison. So he not only writes it, he lives it. And I appreciate that because it's a good example for me, and I hope it's a, a good example for you. So we're going to be, again, in the book of Philippians today. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to flip open to Philippians. If you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles underneath your chair, and the words will also be up on the screen behind me. I have to let you know that today I'll be reading from a different version. I'll be reading from the New International Version, uh, simply because I appreciate the way the NIV translates this passage a little bit better than the uh, NRSVs that you have on the, on the floor underneath you there. But it's very similar, um, just a little bit of a different translation. So I invite you to flip open to Philippians. If you're not sure where that is, it's in the New Testament. Follow the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, then there's Acts, then there's Romans. Romans starts the Pauline letters, the pa letters from Paul, and uh, it goes from longest to shortest, so you got Romans, and then the first and seconds, and then, and then you get the, the General Electric Power Company, GEPC, if you need a, a way to remember the Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. So we're going to be in the P of the power company, and Philippians today, we're going to be in chapter 2. And Paul is basically laying out for us how to be joy-filled in the midst of being humble. And I think as we go through this, one thing to point out, one thing to look for is how often Paul refers to the mind. And I think Paul lays out for us in these few verses, we're going to read through verse 11 today of chapter 2, 
that a lot of our joy is determined by our mindset. And so let's jump right in and let Paul set the stage for us. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, Paul says this. He writes, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being what? By being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Now, in the original language, that word for joy is the word kara. Can everybody say kara? Now, see, kara is not what I typically think of when I think of joy. I think when I define joy, I define it more as happiness. And that's different than what Paul is laying out here in Philippians when he's talking about joy and rejoicing. Happiness is circumstantial. It's based on things and people and, and times and places. And to, in my experience, I, I've experienced times where, where it's definitely happiness and not joy. So Caleb, my oldest son, six years old, when he was probably around three or four, came home. He had just gone to Seabreeze with his aunt and uncle. They had purchased him a helium balloon while they were there. He came home, standing on the doorstep, Daddy, Daddy, I've got a helium balloon, got a helium balloon. He was happy until what happened? He let go. And his happiness quickly turned to sadness. See, happiness is circumstantial. It's based on things. If I, if I win the lottery, I'm happy. If I blow it all on cheesy puffs, I'm sad. If I, if I am looking to date the perfect girl and she says yes, I'm happy. But then when she says no the next day, I'm sad. You know, it's based on circumstances. And that's not what Paul is talking about. Paul is talking about joy, karah. And translated, that word means more along the lines of a quiet contentedness, a peace, being filled with joy, not happiness. Happiness is the roller coaster. Joy is steady, calm, contentedness. So I know I'm asking myself, well, if... if Joy is calm contentedness. How, how do I get that? Where does it come from? And I think Paul tells us as we read on in, in verses 3 through 5 here. Paul continues, and he says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility. Consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not on your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Now, that word humility, it's a very long Greek word that I'm not going to have you say. And I don't even want to try to attempt it myself. So, but what it means is, is, is modesty, or more specifically, humility and lowliness of mind. Again, Paul is focusing on the mind, saying, if you want to be joy-filled, you have to have this lowliness of mind. You have to be humble. Now, I'm a very competitive person. 
I play ultimate frisbee with a bunch of uh, people from Artisan Church on Tuesday evenings, and it's a lot of fun, great sport. My team, up until last week, last Tuesday, was undefeated. We were 6-0. and And then I had to go on vacation, and now we're no longer undefeated, so... No, it's, it's not about me, but it, uh, it was about being undefeated and being competitive. And you see, in, in our league, we, we play rec on Tuesday nights, recreational level, and that's a teaching level. And so instead of me lining up against the other captain on the other team, I line up against one of their new players because my role as a captain is to teach them the game. So as we're defending and and playing offense with each other, I'm telling them, go here, go there. I'm considering that person better than myself. I'm laying aside my desire to win so that I can teach them this game and they can love it as much as I do. Except when the game gets really close. (laughs) And then it's really hard to lay aside that competitive spirit and be humble, considering somebody better than myself. I love Ultimate Frisbee. I I honestly think that Ultimate is the closest thing to any Christian sport that there could ever be. It's self-officiating. We have no referees or anything like that. We all, you know, we're very honest with each other. We call fouls and and, uh, just very, very sporting sports. So, Someday we'll do an entire message series on on Ultimate Frisbee and and we'll use analogies like poles and hucks and stuff like that. It'll be great. It'll be wonderful. I can't wait to to share it with you. The other thing that Paul says, in in addition to being humble, is to have this attitude It's the same as Christ Jesus. This word attitude is phreneo in the Greek. It means mindset. It means focus. It means your affection have the same focus, the same affection as Jesus Christ had. So what is that focus? What is that mindset? What did Christ do? What was his example? So in verses 5 through 7, Paul goes on and he says, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself, what? Nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. The word grasped, very, very interesting word. It's, it's a very forceful word. It, it, it can mean rob. It can mean steal. Very literally, it, it can mean rape. It's a very forceful, taking something. And Christ did not consider his divinity, his godhood, something to be taken by force, to be held on to, to be clung to tenaciously. Instead, instead he empties himself. The word in Greek is kenosis. It's, it's a pouring out. It's, it's avoiding, making completely empty. So Christ, now this, this is a mystery of the church. Please don't come up to me after the service and ask me how this is possible. He is fully God and fully human. 
I don't know how that works. That's why it's a mystery of the church. Someday God will explain it to us. Right now, it's a mystery. So fully God, fully human, somehow lays aside his divinity, his divinity, his godliness, things like his omnipresence. And he becomes present in the form of a human baby. There's another place in Scripture where another being didn't void or empty himself, but instead, instead tried to grasp by force divinity. That person goes by the name of Lucifer, Satan, the morning star. Now, Lucifer is not was not always the, this, you know, pitchfork, horns, you know, guy. Lucifer is an angel of God, an angel of light, the morning star. He was in very, very real way the, the worship leader of all the angels and would lead the praises of the angels of God until one day he decided that he was going to grasp at divinity and say, why should God get all the praise? Why should God get all the worship? I want that. And so if you look in Isaiah 14, I invite you to write that down, check it out this week. We get the story of how he tried to grasp and be like God. And as a result, he was thrown from heaven and the multitude of the heavenly hosts, the angels, were thrown out with him. The second place that I see someone grasping at divinity involves Lucifer again, but this time he's trying to entice God's creation to grasp that divinity. We see the tempter in the garden of Eden and he comes to the woman Eve and he says, why don't you eat of the tree in the midst of the garden? And Eve says, no, no, God says if we eat that, we will die. And the tempter says, no, you will not die. No, your eyes will be open. And you will be like God. You can grasp divinity. You can grasp godliness. You will be like God. And so Adam and Eve grasped. And they fell. And now we are all separated from God. But see, Christ shows us he's the, the second Adam, the, the perfection of God. And he didn't consider divinity something to be grasped, but instead emptied himself and became human. And not just any human, and not just any way, but what is the mindset of Christ? He has the mindset of a servant. Now, in the, the word in Greek is doulos. And I don't mean a, a midwife here. This is not a, a, a someone that helps birth children. A doulos in the Greek means servant or bond slave or bond servant. A good explanation of what this is is found in Exodus 21. Again, I invite you to write that down. Exodus 21, the first few verses. And this week, go home and check it out. It talks about how in the law, a person, if they were, became a servant, uh, like an indentured servant, they went into debt or something like that, and they needed to repay their master... They would go into servitude for seven years, and after seven years, they'd be set free. But after those seven years, if that person who has been working for the master 
loves his master or her master, and the master cares for them, and that person wants to remain in service to the master, the master brings them before the council and then brings them to a door or a doorpost, takes it all, a pointy stick, and sticks it through their ear and pierces their ear. And they wear an earring, symbolizing that they are no longer a slave because of being indentured, in debt, but they are a slave because they love their master and they wish to serve and they have freely chosen to serve their master. So that's why I tell people I have pierced ears is because I, I, I serve my master. Read Exodus 21. Sometimes they buy it, sometimes they don't. So, but Christ emptied himself and became a doulos, a servant. And Paul says, if you want joy, if you want to find that that contented fullness, that, that peace, that joy, then have the same mind as Christ who became servant and serve others. How many, I, have, has anybody had the experience in maybe a missions trip or maybe, you know, just going in the grocery store where you have had the opportunity to, to serve someone and you just... After you do it, maybe you help somebody take something down off the shelves. Maybe you helped your neighbor pull out weeds. Maybe you went in school and, and you helped one of your students, your friends, uh, pass a test. Whatever it is, you, you served them. You considered them better than yourselves. You took the time. You gave to them for no consideration of yourself and for no reward that you might be getting, but you just served them. Anybody ever experienced that and just feel the joy that comes from serving the joy from considering someone better than yourself. In fact, that word doulos, another way to translate it is one who gives himself or herself up to another's will or one that is devoted to another, to the disregard of one's own interests. Do you want joy? Do you want that contentedness? then you need to be like Christ. You need to have the mind of Christ, the, the, the desire, the focus. And that focus is to empty yourself, to lower yourself to the point of serving others, of seeing others greater than yourself. So much of the re one of the reasons why I love the Bible so much and, and Christ's teaching so much is, is that it is just so countercultural, so counterintuitive. In our culture, if you want to be joyful, which really translates more into if you want to be happy, you need stuff. You need to go out and get the new iPhone. How many of you heathens went out and bought a new iPhone on, on the 11th? Okay, yeah, let's see, let's see those hands. <laughs> no. If you want to be happy, you need to have the new car. You need to have the right boyfriend or girlfriend. You need to go out and have the right job. You need to have the right house. Whatever it is, that is what the world tells us will bring us joy or happiness. But see, God in His Word, Paul in his writing says, no, no, no. It's not about giving yourself stuff. It's not about raising yourself up. No, it's about lowering yourself 
submitting yourself to others, serving others, and through that service, you will find your joy. You will find your contentedness. See, the more, the more stuff we have, the more things we need, the more people we need in our lives, the harder it is to grasp, the harder it is to control. And it just makes our life hectic and not joy-filled. So Paul goes on in these last three verses, four verses of Philippians 8 through 11, and he says, talking about Christ, being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death. He lowered himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. You see, this might be in your Bibles, you might notice this. Uh, it might be laid out this way. Some Bibles might not lay it out this way. But many people consider this section, verses 6 through 11, to either be some kind of a poem or some kind of a song that was originally written to talk about Christ and to talk about what he did in laying his life down. And you see, the first, first three verses, they're written in parallel. So we got the first three verses, verse 6, 7, and 8. And then we have the second three verses, 9, 10, and 11. First three verses show Christ emptying himself, descending, becoming a servant, becoming nothing. And then the second three verses talk about how God, not Christ, but how God makes his joy complete and starts lifting him up, raising up the name of Christ, that at the name of Jesus Christ, the very name, not even the presence of Christ, but his name alone, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. You see, when we humble ourselves, God is the one that brings us back up, that fills us with joy, that gives us that contentedness in our lives. So, we're going to go to table in just a moment, and we're going to give thanks to God for this wonderful hope that we have in the good news that Christ humbled himself so that God could lift him up. The good news that we, if we truly humble ourselves, become the doulos of God, where we don't consider our own rights, we don't consider our own desires, but we consider the desires of God, then that is where we find joy. And that is where we find peace. And that's what we celebrate at table in just a moment. But before we do that, I, I'd like to ask to pray for some of us here. I know I need this prayer. I need uh, God to, to help me in this area of my life. If there are any people here that are going through a time in their life where they are just really struggling, you're, you're going through a, a difficulty with maybe a spouse, maybe the difficulty is with your neighbor, maybe it's with a, a, a coworker or a, a student that you're in school with, and you're finding it really, really, really hard to be humble. 
Because you're right. If you're feeling that today, I just invite you to just, you know, acknowledge that, yes, I, I'm having a hard time with that. I'm struggling with being humble. I want God's peace. I want God's joy. I need help. Pray for me. If you, if you want to pray that prayer, let's just bow our hearts, bow our heads right now, and ask God to, to bless us and to bring us to that place of humility. Father God, we thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you for the words of Paul that talk about finding this joy in the midst of humility. But Father, I need to confess to you, and I know there are many people here, I saw hands go up, that we struggle. We struggle with being humble. Father, would you give us the strength of your spirit to... Make ourselves nothing as Christ did. To lower ourselves to serving all others. Considering all others better than ourselves. And in that humility, could you help us to find joy and peace We thank you, Father, for that gift. We know it is your Son, Jesus, that makes that possible. And Lord, I know that there are others here today that have never experienced the joy that can only be found in you, that have never known that quiet contentedness because it only comes through humbling ourselves to you, through submitting our lives to you, through making Christ's our Lord and Savior. And there are some people here today that, that even those words, they, they are questioning, could it, could it be true? Could I find joy? Could I find that quiet peace in my life? And so, Father, I ask you to draw them to your heart. Help them to know the joy that is only possible through you. Help them to take that step of faith to just submit their lives to you so that they may find their joy they may find that quiet contentedness. I pray that they would make that decision even now, Father. And Lord, as we go to table, as we celebrate, as we thank you for what Jesus did on the cross, we pray that we would walk closer with you and we look forward to the day when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. We do this in the power and in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.